Hey everyone, welcome to the Being Giant Show. I'm one of your hosts, Rochelle Verna, and this is a podcast for academics by academics. This week, I'm talking to Dr. Jesse Miller, who is a lecturer at Stanford University. In this episode, we talk about his transition from undergrad into the working world, his decision to go to grad school, and his path to becoming a university lecturer. We hope that you guys enjoy the episode. Alrighty, well, thank you so much, Dr. Miller, for uh, joining me on this endeavor. I'm really excited to talk to you about uh, just the stuff that you do and how you've gotten to where you are right now in your career. So why don't you go ahead and uh, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm currently a lecturer at Stanford, which is a full-time teaching job. Uh, but I've had a pretty circuitous path to get here, I'd say. And um, I've done a lot of different things over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just tell you a little bit about my background, I guess. Yeah, I, uh, I studied uh, botany and ecology as an undergrad. I was actually really interested in uh, organic farming. And uh, my original career goal was to be an organic farmer back when I was an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also really interested in botany and ecology at the same time, you know, which are somewhat complementary interests. And I, uh, after college, I actually applied for a job doing rare plant surveys, a field botany job in Oregon, uh, just kind of opportunistically. I, the opportunity came along and I got the job and I moved to Oregon and I ended up working as a field botanist for about five years, uh, working for consulting companies. Uh, that consult with government agencies and looking for rare plants in areas that are being managed. So going out in an area where the Forest Service wants to do a timber sale and looking and seeing if there are any rare plants in the area that might be disturbed by the timber sale. Uh, And I also was, after a couple of years, I started working as a technician for academic research labs as well. Mm -hmm. So going out and collecting field data for researchers. And I think that was part of what attracted me to come back to academia eventually, uh, because when I was working in these academic labs, I really enjoyed the environment. It was really intellectually stimulating. And, uh, you know, some of the other work I'd been doing was really fun. I really loved being out in the woods and getting to hike around all day for my job and look at plants. You know, there's nothing I love more than that. But I also felt uh, a little, I guess, like I didn't have quite enough human contact in some of those jobs like I was really just mostly out in the woods by myself or with a couple coworkers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I also started doing a little teaching on the side around this time I started teaching at a community college as a winter job when I wasn't out in the field uh, you know and when there's snow on the ground we're not doing the botany surveys obviously and I really enjoyed teaching a lot and so that was um those two things were what motivated me to eventually go back to grad school so I started kind of keeping an eye out for graduate programs and thinking about what might be a good fit for me. And I ended up applying to a few graduate programs. And um, actually, uh, a mentor of mine who had hired me for one of the research jobs ended up connecting me with a colleague of hers who had a similar project going on that was something that was really interesting to me. So I ended up going to the University of Wisconsin-Madison for grad school. And I started out as a master student because I wasn't totally sure if uh, a PhD was, you know, if I wanted to go through with the whole process of a PhD, which is obviously 
you know, pretty major commitment. Right. And, uh, but I ended up really, I had a great time in grad school. It was a really good fit. I really liked my advisor and the lab and the department. The whole thing was really awesome. So I very quickly switched to a PhD track, um, I think after my first semester or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, so uh, yeah, after my PhD, I did a postdoc at UC Davis for a couple years, uh, studying fire ecology. And uh, then I applied for this job at Stanford, and I've been at Stanford uh, for two years now. I'm just starting my third year teaching at Stanford. So that's, that's basically uh, an overview of kind of my career trajectory. All right, cool. That's, that's pretty dope. So <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty cool. It seems like you've like you've done a lot of traveling and stuff uh, like that too throughout uh, the different jobs that you've held. So you mentioned that coming out of undergrad, you kind of had your interests in two different um, areas and stuff. But from what you've just described, I guess coming out of undergrad, I guess graduate school wasn't in the picture at that moment in time. No, it really wasn't, actually. I didn't, uh, you know, so my dad's a professor, so there was a part of me that had, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, well, I might go get a PhD someday, and, you know, because I had, it was like an easy, it was easy to picture myself doing that, just, you know, having a family role model example, but no, I really didn't have any kind of specific plan. I certainly wasn't doing anything to prepare for grad school as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. um, it, it really wasn't on my radar at all. And I think part of part of it was just my perspective on kind of my place in the world shifted. Um, I guess after undergrad, I really thought maybe the best thing I could, do, you know, obviously the world has a lot of problems these days, and I was an idealistic young person trying to think about what I could do to help. Right. And I think it, as an undergrad, I saw it in more of an individualistic way. I was like, well, if I can live sustainably and grow food and you know provide food to my community that's the best contribution I can make to the world. And I think, uh, you know, eventually my perspective kind of shifted. And, you know, I still have great respect for farming. Super important work. Agriculture is a hugely important thing. But I came to realize, I, uh, I think, you know, education is something that's critically needed uh, to improve the world, too. Mm -hmm. And I realized that um, me going off and having a farm isn't, you know, isn't the only way I can contribute to making the world better. I kind of realized that... Um, another way to shape the world is through teaching and potentially I can actually like reach a lot more people and have a bigger influence being a teacher. So mm -hmm. I think like that shift in my worldview was kind of uh, parallel to the shift in career orientation. Did I, I can't actually remember what you asked me. I'm not sure if I totally went off track there or not. No, 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 you, uh, you answered it just fine. <laughs> okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> my next question for you um, would be, well, since since graduate school wasn't uh, in the picture coming out of undergrad, did you feel like your undergrad experience uh, prepped you uh, well enough to get a job? Because, you know, one of the issues that many undergrads face is that when they're coming out of uh, college, uh, they do find it a little hard to find a job uh, immediately. Sometimes it takes up to six months, probably up to a year. Um, so what was that like for you? Did you feel like your undergrad experience, uh, prepped you to get a job? Yeah, that's a good question. In my case, it absolutely did. Um, but I should mention, I went to kind of a non-traditional institution for undergrad. Okay. I went to a school with no grades 
and the setup was that you typically take a full-time interdisciplinary class every quarter instead of taking you know several independent separate classes like most colleges most college students do and uh my college had a lot of field biology classes i got to spend a lot of time outdoors learning about plants and animals and fungi and you know all kinds of organisms out there which is really kind of unusual these days there aren't a lot of colleges that offer these kinds of courses right so it positioned me really well to do field botany research because there just aren't a lot of undergrads coming out of college who actually have the biological skills to go out and identify all these organisms. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think in another time there were more undergrads were taking these kinds of classes, but it's actually kind of rare these days. So I think what really worked for me was I did develop some strong and marketable skills uh, as an undergrad that were actually in demand when I got out uh, into the, you know, job market. Okay. Um, which wasn't necessarily something I totally planned in a coherent way, but it ended up working out. So if, if correct me if I'm wrong, did you say that you went to a school that had no grades? Yeah, that's right. We got written evaluations, which I really love. I, uh, I've never been a big fan of grades. Like having to give grades is one of my least favorite things about being a college instructor. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, in my current job, I get to teach a lot of classes for uh, credit, no credit, which is nice. Okay, that's interesting. I've, me personally, I've never really heard of, a, of like an institution that doesn't really do uh, grades like that. So that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, there, there are a handful of them out there, but it's pretty uncommon, certainly. Mm -hmm. So, but during your, uh, while you're in, while you were in undergrad, uh, I guess because your experience was like so hands-on, like, did you have internship experiences throughout undergrad or no? That's, yeah, good question. I'm trying to think, I don't think... I really did have internship experiences. And you know, when I see my Stanford students now, they're so much more focused and career oriented than I was, or, you know, than most of my friends were in college. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was almost kind of a different era. Like, I feel like there's, well, it's also the difference between being at a state school and Stanford, of course. But, uh, you know, I was at a small second tier state school. Mm -hmm. um, no, I really didn't. I wasn't being super strategic about career preparation other than just taking classes that ended up being really helping me develop really useful skills. But I don't think I did any internships. I had, you know, summer jobs and stuff, but they were really just jobs and they weren't um, particularly focused on career training or anything like that. Yeah. It certainly, you know, if I'd had a more, uh, a plan that was more detailed and strategic, you know, I think it would have been a good move to do internships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as it happened, just, you know, having the marketable skills ended up being enough to kind of get me over the hurdle. And if, if, in my experience, the biggest challenge is getting your first job after college. Right. And, you know, then you accumulate experience and you make connections and it kind of becomes easier to get your second and third and move around a little bit. So for me, I, um, I just kind of was given this opportunity to apply for a position through someone who had also, the guy who ran the company had also gone to my college. So there's kind of an inside connection. Mm -hmm. So I think that was really the critical thing was, um, you know, the, the networking. Like it was one of my professors who told me about the job opportunity and having that connection was really huge because I think it would have been a lot harder for me to just apply to these kinds of jobs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just totally cold applications. But just getting my foot in the door was really the critical thing. Um, and then, you know, I realized there were a lot of these kinds of consulting jobs doing the rare plant surveys and similar work. And once I had experience and showed that I was, you know, capable and enthusiastic, 
it was pretty easy to just go from one job to another as long as I stayed in that world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, uh, well, times like, yeah, like I, at least like a lot of the undergrads uh, who, who I know. So I'm about slightly over two years uh, removed from undergrad. And um, I can tell you that like it was very difficult for me to get a job. So my experiences similar to yours in the sense that I wasn't too sold on the idea of grad school when I was approaching my senior year. So I started thinking about like, oh, okay, you know, what is it that I could do um, to get a job and stuff? And my issue for me was that like I had so many different interests. And um, so I, I had interest in climate change, energy. I was, you know, I'm pretty into astronomy as well and like just the space industry um, also, so like I felt as if like I could have gone in so many different directions. So it made the idea of approaching grad school very difficult because, uh, you know, with grad school, you usually just have to like figure out that area that you want to specialize in and then, you know, go for there. But for me, it was difficult. And coming out of uh, undergrad, like I found that it was extremely hard to, to get a job. So what I wish I would have done was like, I would have like connected a little bit more with uh, my professors uh, at the time, even though like I held internships here and there, but the internships that I ended up doing, they were research internships. So it was like, there really wasn't, you know, much of an opportunity to like, I guess, like form those type of bonds where this person, you know, you have this mentor who would say like, Oh, Hey, by the way, I know like so-and-so. So, that's how I ended up doing my master's and then like started forming those types of bonds. And then that's when uh, I had a couple professors who were able to tell me like, Oh, Hey, you know, by the way, like you can talk to so-and-so person. They are, you know, they, they they specialize in this field and stuff. They might be interesting, interesting to talk to. And uh, that's where I've gotten to where I am today. So, yeah, very cool. So some some parallels in our stories, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, so you mentioned that you, so coming out of undergrad, you worked numerous jobs and stuff. So I'm curious to know, these jobs that you, uh, you worked, uh, were they all located kind of like in the same city or did you travel and go to other cities to take other jobs? Yeah. So they were all uh, somewhere in Oregon or California, if I recall correctly. Okay. So I was, I moved to um, Ashland, Oregon for my first job, a southern, you know, small town in southern Oregon. And I was, I basically used that as my home base for the next five years, but I did travel around for work quite a bit. And a lot of these were fairly short-term jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, typically it's just each, each project is just a few months. Okay. And a company might just hire you to work on one project. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, often I would keep a place to live in Iceland and, you know, sometimes I would commute to jobs that were a few hours away and come home on the weekends. Um, I think a couple of times I, I moved out of my place for a few months to go live elsewhere. Oh, I also went to Idaho. I spent a couple of months doing an internship in Boise. Or, you know, it was a job, job internship type deal. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, you know, that is a real challenge is, especially in this line of work, if, you know, most people who are doing the field botany type work um, end up doing a lot of traveling because, you know, the projects are just all over the place. Right. And so, you know, it was definitely like having the flexibility of my life circumstances where uh, I, I could do that definitely made it possible. 
possible to be in that field. Like, you know, I think if I'd had like a young kid or something where I was like a primary caregiver, you know, some kind of, or, or some other life situation where I really needed to be in one place all the time, it would have been a lot harder to pursue that career path because mm-hmm. it was really important to be able to just move around as opportunities came up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Understandable for sure. For sure. Okay. Well, so I noticed that like, uh, before like you you entered grad school you spent some time doing a a certificate so what was that like yeah yeah so that was the lichenology certificate which uh is basically the idea behind that is so i was mentioning that i had these jobs doing the rare plant surveys and i was also doing surveys for for rare lichens and mosses too Mm -hmm. and the the idea for the certificate is that it's important to do some quality control and make sure people who do this, these survey jobs actually uh, have the skills to be able to identify the species we're looking for. Right. Because potentially, you know, anyone can bid on these government contracts. Someone who's totally not, doesn't know anything about lichens could potentially get a contract and, you know, do low quality work. So the certificate is, was designed as a way to ensure that people who are getting these contracts um you know have have an actual credential Mm -hmm. to show that they're qualified and uh i had a coworker. what my supervisor in my first job was uh, just really encouraging when it came to professional development he encouraged me to push myself and develop new skills and it it hadn't really occurred to me to go for the certification until he encouraged me to do it Mm -hmm. but basically i just studied up and you know uh develop stronger lichen skills and I w- it w- turned out to be a really good career move because once I had the certification it just made me more marketable to companies doing this kind of work I think it showed that I was really serious about uh, you know developing the skills and that it wasn't just a kind of passing interest so yeah it ended it was a, you know it took a good amount of studying and work it's a pretty um thorough rigorous exam Mm -hmm. I had to I passed one part of it the first time and I had to retake the other part of it the second time Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah it ended up really paying off and I think you know it helped me establish myself as someone who's uh, a serious member of the community of people doing the field botany consulting work right so uh, as a part of this certification was it just only one course or was it several courses that you had to uh, had to pass so the certification is actually exam-based, so um, you don't actually take any courses. The idea is that you kind of learn the material on your own, mm-hmm. and most people who take it um, have been working in the field for some time, so uh, it's it, it kind of designed for people who already have the skills to just prove that they have it, although there are training opportunities that are associated with it for people who need them too but for me i was really i had to study a lot it wasn't like i could have just sat down and taken it and passed it it definitely took some work okay okay cool interesting all right i guess like for me like i i'm at a point right now where um i'm starting to think about how i want to develop my career and even though I'm getting through my master's, I'm, I'm going to finish at the end of the semester, I was starting to entertain, like, you know, maybe should I, like, whether, like, I was thinking about whether or not if I should entertain uh, going for another master's or going for a certificate program and stuff. But in your case, it seems like doing a certification was uh, extremely beneficial. Uh, beneficial. 
Yeah, it was, but it was also like the opportunity cost was low. I mean, it took a lot of time studying, but you know, those that just like improved my skills and my marketability to spend the time doing that. Mm-hmm. And the actual cost of taking the exam was very low, so it, it's not like there was a uh, you know significant outlay of expenses or anything for me to do it. So yeah, it was it was definitely a good move mm-hmm. in this case. But, you know, it's it's also kind of a weird, like, small niche field. So I'm not sure if there's anything, like, totally analogous to this certification in other fields. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. But, yeah, I think certifications can be a great thing for just showing you're serious about the field you're in and, you know, showcasing your skills. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Cool, cool. I, I, I think I, I, I agree to it. Like, I mean, I've seen, like, especially um, where I work right now, like, a lot of my coworkers are always uh, going out doing certifications and stuff. So, and they all say that like, it's like either it's like personally re- rewarding for them because uh, it, it enables them to continue to learn no matter like what age they're they're They are. And uh, yeah, it, it helps them. Um, so you started your master's at, uh, the University of Wisconsin Madison in 2012, correct? Uh, 2011, yeah. 20, 2011, okay. So, um, what so what was it like getting back into a formal like academic setting, uh, given that you had spent uh, a few years working? Yeah, good question. I was. It actually worked out really great. It was really exciting and stimulating to be back in academia, and. For me personally, taking several years off between undergrad and grad school was a great move. I think it gave me some time to just develop more knowledge about my field, develop some skills, develop some life experience, just traveling around and having some different jobs and meeting different people. And I think I was much more focused in grad school because I had taken some time off. Mm-hmm. And I had a better sense of kind of what kind of jobs you can have without a PhD or master's. And I think that helped motivate me uh, to to go for it too, because I was I had a cl- just clear sense of kind of what the different job options are out there in the world, uh-huh. and um, you know I had a really clear idea of what the benefits of having a PhD would be because I'd already you know started teaching a little bit and realized I really enjoyed that. So for me it was great. I think being away from the academic environment for a while. Um, you know, I was just really ready for the intellectual stimulation of being back there. And it made mm-hmm. me appreciate it more than I would have if I'd just gone straight from undergrad to grad school. And I always encourage my students now to take a little time off, you know. My, I feel like, you know, life is a journey. There's no big hurry to, uh, you know, get into your career that you're going to do for the rest of your life. It's great to experience different things. And for me, I feel like having the life experience and professional experience from those years after undergrad actually made my PhD a lot more meaningful. It, you know, it really informed the research I ended up doing in my PhD, having traveled around and worked in all these different ecosystems. You know, it made me a much more well-rounded ecologist. And Mm -hmm. I think that made my PhD research stronger. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it ended up working out really well. But, you know, that said, it was certainly an adjustment. Uh, Academic culture is, you know, very different than like the consulting world. And, you know, there there was a lot to learn. There were a lot of new things to experience. But I was I was just totally ripe for it at that point. So mm-hmm. it ended up being a really, really great experience. Also, I was in a really, I had a great PhD advisor. 
I was in an excellent department with just a lot of other like-minded people. Um, I had a really good financial situation in grad school, which was basically what I was holding out for. I always felt like um, I w didn't really want to go into debt to get a degree in ecology. Right. So, and you know, in the sciences, you can generally find funded programs if you look around a little bit. It's not that hard. So basically, I was going to wait until I found a good, well-funded program. Mm -hmm. So. So, you know, my tuition was totally covered. I got paid enough to live on. You know, I wasn't getting rich, but uh, I also wasn't going into debt. And I think that made the whole experience better, too. Right. I think it, it would be a lot harder to spend, you know, five years going into debt to get a PhD. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, it would just be not – the financial stability made the whole experience a lot better. So I always encourage my students now to – you know, look for these well-funded grad school opportunities, um, right. especially if you're going into a field like ecology that's not a super high-paying field. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's good to be really cautious about going into a lot of debt. It also makes the whole thing lower risk, like, if, if it hadn't worked, because you never know, you know, doing a PhD, um, the, the relationship with your advisor is hugely important, and you never know what it's going to be like until you get there. Right. And I think there would be more pressure to finish the degree no matter what if you're going into a lot of debt. But if you have a well-funded, you know, if you're in a good financial situation with full funding, it kind of takes the pressure off because you can walk away at any time with nothing right. to lose. Um, so it just makes it like lower stakes and kind of gives you some more freedom. So, well, fortunately in my case, everything worked out really well. And uh, yeah, and it was a good experience. Speaking of finances, so you said that's like, you know, you're in a great funding situation. I know that you said that you uh, you started off as a master's student. So... Were you able to get funding as a master's student before you converted over to a PhD student? Yeah, the master's position was funded too. So, and it was kind of the same deal for master's Like switching didn't really change anything. Mm -hmm. But basically the deal was my advisor had already gotten a pretty large grant to do the, the main, the central project of my research. Mm -hmm. And so that grant uh, put me, I got to be on a research assistantship, uh, some of the terms that I was there. Okay. And in those terms, I just got paid to do my research and didn't have to have any other kind of job. You know, basically just got paid enough to live on just for doing my research. And then other terms, I had to be a teaching assistant. Um, so, but you know, between a mix of the research assistantship and the teaching assistantship, um, you know, my tuition and salary were covered the whole mm -hmm. time I was there. But I did, I ended up applying for a National Science Foundation graduate fellowship uh, right. in my first year. And I was very fortunate to get that fellowship which is pretty competitive hmm. um and so that actually just made life a lot easier i you know i would have been fine either way but i ended up getting uh three years of funding through that fellowship mm -hmm. so i ended up only having to teach i think three of the semesters that i was in grad school so it just gave me more time to focus on my research and more flexibility which of course is a wonderful thing right right well, since finances weren't an issue for you, what would you, well, w yeah, it wasn't an issue for you uh, during that period of time. What would you say was the uh, most challenging part of uh, your PhD experience? That's, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, hmm. I guess, you know, really just learning the process of doing independent scientific research, there's just a lot to learn, especially because, you know, I, I have a lot of undergrads now who, you know, spent all these years working in research labs and are really 
you know, pretty well versed in the research environment. And I really hadn't done that. I mean, I, the school where I went to undergrad is like a liberal arts college. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really have like major research labs like we do at a R1 university. Right. So the whole world of academic research was really not very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. So there was really just like a lot to learn to navigate. Um, you know, on a on a parallel note, like a lot of my undergrads I teach now already have some experience with statistics, data analysis, data management, kind of a lot of these, you know, basic skills that are pretty important for a lot of different sciences. Mm-hmm. And since I hadn't been, you know, planning on grad school, I certainly hadn't developed those kinds of skills as an undergrad. So there was a lot of stuff for me to learn when I first got to grad school. So, you know, it, it's it's a bunch of different stuff. It's the stats, the uh, study design, the writing skills, the public speaking skills, mm-hmm. project management skills. There's just, you know, the whole, the research process, there's just um, so many different things you have to be able to do to pull off a major research project. So I think just figuring out how to pull together all of those skills, um, you know, it felt like a lot. I definitely remember my first semester of grad school. I was taking a couple of classes. I was uh, doing my teaching assistantship and also trying to plan my research. And I just remember those days were like super long days. I was, uh, you know, coming home at 10 o'clock at night after my evening class I was teaching or something, just like totally exhausted. But that said, um, as grad school went on, I did develop a really good work-life balance. And most of the time I wasn't working um, any kind of like crazy long hours or anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, were you like outside of your uh, PhD advisor, were, were there other resources that you were able to take advantage of, like for additional mentoring or for like development of these skills that you needed to like complete your PhD? Yeah, yeah. Um, good question. I think that's a really important point to make because it is like uh, the PhD advisor is certainly hugely important, but most people, you know, they need more than just what they can get from their PhD advisor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I did. Um, in my case, we were collaborating with another researcher in California who was the one who I'd worked for previously. So she was almost like another uh like a second PhD advisor, even though, you know, it wasn't a formal, she wasn't officially on my committee or anything. Mm -hmm. So that was really nice because it was just another person who um, was really involved in the project who I could go to for advice and assistance. Mm -hmm. And uh, a nice thing about that arrangement was her kind of background and approach to science was really complementary to my PhD advisors. They kind of had different perspectives on things, but in a really good way where it kind of showed me the range of different ways you can approach science. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot from both of them. And, you know, I think now I find myself doing things like somewhere in between um, the ways each of them kind of approach science. So, yeah, having a couple advisor figures was hugely important. Um, But also developing, you know, I'd say, you know, faculty are just so busy. Like, I had really great committee members. And they all certainly helped me. You know, in my program, we had uh, five PhD committee members mm-hmm. who are all faculty. And, you know, they all helped me and were, uh, you know, really helped inform my research. But typically, I would meet with each of them maybe, you know, a couple times a year. Actually, I ended up collaborating in some depth with one of my PhD committee members who was hugely generous with his time. So, um, and he was, you know, a big part of a couple of my projects I did. 
but besides that, I'd say a really important source of mentorship was the other grad students and postdocs in my department. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, the senior grad students have been around long enough to know how the department works. They've developed some good skills. Um, and postdocs, too, are, you know, are really great to learn from because, you know, they're fully trained scientists. They've finished their PhDs. They're at the point where they can, um, you know, they just understand how the whole research project process works really well. And, you know, typically have all those skills well developed, the, the SAT skills, the study design skills, but they're not as busy and stressed out as faculty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, you know, easier to find, you know, it was easier for grad students and postdocs to have time to meet with me and help me with the various struggles. So I'd say, you know, I probably learned as much from the other grad students and postdocs as I did from uh, any of the faculty during my PhD. Oh, okay. That sounds that sounds dope. Seems like you had a tremendous amount of support from uh, like from multiple sources and stuff. So that's uh that's pretty good because at least like I feel like it alleviates some of the pressure like on you. Um, like if you only just had like your PhD advisor to um maybe look forward to like you know talking to uh you well talking to about like. Uh, a lot of these things right like I think that's like a huge burden to place on one individual especially when you already have to like you know do this research project um uh, yourself um so after your PhD you uh went off to UC Davis correct to do your postdoc yeah that's right right so how long were you at uh UC Davis for I was at Davis for two years two years okay so like uh when you first got this postdoc um was it like a a, at first like only for a year and then it got extended for two years or was it like fully for two years straight out the gate uh the funding situation was a little bit uncertain so they just hired me for one year at the beginning but with the understanding that we would probably extend it to two years Mm -hmm. uh, partly just because the nature of the research was such that you know it'd be difficult to really complete the project in one year mm-hmm. and, and have a final you know have a paper ready to publish okay so yeah fortunately the funding all worked out and i was able to extend for another year um but i was also just starting to apply for jobs at this point you know postdocs are inherently temporary positions mm-hmm. so typically you start looking for you know like you, you once you start a postdoc you start applying for other jobs pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh, is you know is, is commonly how it works were you able to so uh-huh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to ask, like, uh, were you able to secure your postdoc prior to graduating? Or was that something that came I after? was. Okay. No, yeah, it was a quick turnaround. I think we finalized the details for my postdoc, like, maybe in February or March. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but several months before I graduated. I graduated in May, and then I started my postdoc very shortly afterwards. Like, I defended my dissertation. I took like a week to just kind of chill afterwards because, you know, it was a big, big push towards uh, finishing. And then I had like a week to move out of my house and drive across the country and started. Yeah, I think I started my new position like, you know, maybe two or three weeks after I defended my dissertation. So it was definitely a pretty quick turnaround. It was partly because of the timing of field season. You know, I needed it was like summer and I needed to be out collecting data for the postdoc right away. So mm, okay. um, the timing wasn't very flexible. So. Yeah, I would definitely recommend to other people, like, if possible, it's really nice to take a break after your PhD and just, you know, it would have been ideal to have, like, a few months to, uh, or, you know, a couple months to relax and, um, you know, just because the PhD is a tiring process, obviously. Right. 
but the the plus the positive thing was I was just doing field work over the summer. Just I was out like collecting data, uh, looking at plants for the whole summer, right. which was, you know, really, because for the end of my PhD, I was mostly just analyzing data and writing. Uh, it had been a couple of years since I'd had a major field season. So it's still a good change of pace. You know, I got a break from thinking about stats and everything for a little while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, got to just be out in nature, even though it was hard work over the summer. And by the time fall came around and it was time to start analyzing that data, you know, I was totally ready to get back into it. Mm-hmm. My uh, PhD burnout was like totally gone by then. And I was excited to start analyzing data and writing papers again, but I definitely did need a little break from it for a little while. Okay. How would you say that your postdoc, like, uh, experience, um, like, what, what what was the impact of the postdoc experience for you um, on your career or, or just you as a scientist overall? Did it give you extra, like, con- like, you know, extra confidence that you didn't necessarily have throughout the PhD process, or was it just more of the same thing? Uh, well, in my case, I think it was a fantastic experience and it was a really good career move. Um, so the postdoc I did was that my advisor, so I was hired through UC Davis. I was a, a postdoc at the university, mm-hmm. but my advisor was actually a full-time research employee for the Forest Service. Um, and he had a courtesy appointment at Davis. Mm, okay. And it was cool because he kind of, he had this, he had his academic research lab of like grad students and postdocs at Davis, but then he also um, had a staff that he ran, a, a research staff at the Forest Service. So the lab was really a mix of academia and government agency research. And it was really cool because it gave me an opportunity to understand better how um, research works at a government agency. Mm-hmm. And it also helped me develop a lot of connections. Um, you know, so I'd been in, in Wisconsin for grad school and had been doing research in the Midwest. So, you know, a lot of my uh, research connections were people in that region. Right. And it was, but, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to come back to the West Coast. I really love it out here. And so it was really nice to, um, you know, this my my postdoc advisor is someone who's pretty well known in the field. He's really well connected to, um, you know, a lot of people doing related research in California. Mm-hmm. So in my case, it was just a great opportunity to get to know a lot of people um, who are active in the field, make a lot of connections, get familiar with how this government agency research works. Um, so yeah, it was really, it definitely was like a different experience from my PhD, which was much more academic and, um, you know, not so much about collaborations with agencies, although I did a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in my case, it really added added uh, something, you know, a really different element from the PhD experience. Right. Okay, cool. Uh, so do, do you feel like uh, going through your postdoc, uh, how much of an impact or... How much did it prepare you to be a lecturer at Stanford, or was it that like the work that you had done at the community college uh, years prior, you know, between those two experiences, I guess, which of the two like helped you more at your current position now? Yeah, good question. Well, so I I did do teaching assistantships in grad school, you know, so I was a TA, so I had gotten some more teaching experience in grad school, which was useful, but, you know, being a TA is just not the same as being a, the actual instructor of a course. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, and I think, um, like, hi, people who hire instructors don't necessarily view TA-ship as, um, you know, full-on teaching experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in my in my book, they maybe undervalue it a little bit, actually. 
But one thing I did during my postdoc was, so my postdoc was a hundred, was a hundred percent research position. There was no mm-hmm. teaching component, mm-hmm. but I um, made arrangements with the department to design and teach a course at Davis while I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my postdoc advisor was totally fine with it. You know, I told him at the beginning, I was like, yeah, I really want this postdoc. You know, I'm really excited to focus on research in this postdoc, but I would like to get a little bit of teaching experience too. Cause I knew that ultimately I wanted to teach. And uh, he was he was totally cool with that. So the, and the department was happy because um, my you know my advisor was paying my salary. So for them it was like a free class they were able to offer right. without having to pay my salary. So it's kind of like a win-win situation for everyone. And I think teaching you know being able to say that I designed and taught my own college class um, was probably really important for getting the position I have now. I'm not sure if they would have hired me if I you know had um, hadn't had that experience. So. I think, um, and you know, it's something that people often can do in a postdoc if they uh, put forward the initiative to go for it. Mm-hmm. it. I mean, if the if the advisor is understanding at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that was actually probably the number one thing I did to prepare for my current position. But I think having a, for my current position, I teach a lot of classes um, that focus on research skills, both for undergraduates and graduates. Mm-hmm. So excuse me, I think they were in my current position, even though it's a teaching position, I think they were looking for someone with a strong research background. So in that sense, um, you know, both my PhD and my postdoc really helped me prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Okay, cool. Sounds, uh, sounds pretty, uh, sounds like you were well prepared for that. Like, I guess that's something that I've never really like heard of myself, like, like postdocs, uh, being able to create their their own courses and being able to to teach those courses um to be honest with you like because i've done a lot of research internships um throughout undergrad and i never really came across a postdoc who was teaching a, a course like that so okay well yeah it's certainly not universal um and you know there's some advisors who you know would just see it as a loss to research productivity so i can imagine not everyone would support it Mm-hmm. But I'm actually currently, I just started, this is our first week of classes at Stanford right now, and I'm actually teaching a class that's being co-taught by a professor and by another postdoc. So I know I'm not the only one who's done it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, it seems like you've ultimately got into a place that you really wanted to be in terms of like being able to, to teach. So what's, so tell me, what's the, uh, what's, what's the thing that you enjoy the most about your, your current position? Yeah, I'd say just getting to interact with uh, inquisitive, uh, motivated students and feel like I really have uh, useful stuff that I can share with them is, and, you know, help that they benefit from is really the most rewarding thing about my job now. Um, You know, I get to work with some really excellent students at Stanford, not surprisingly, Mm -hmm. and it's just super rewarding to me to, um, you know, get to see that get to see them change and grow over the course of one of the classes where I mm-hmm. work with them. Um, it's just, there's something so, it's just so much fun for me to interact with them. And it's really interesting to kind of learn about their world too. Um, it's, it's a really, it's an interesting era. Like I feel like, you know, I kind of grew up before the internet era. Like it was, wasn't really a thing until after college. And you know, the internet existed in college. But I feel like we were much more isolated and sheltered 
in that era. And it's interesting just seeing how worldly students are now. Like, I feel like they kind of grow up a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like kind of a more sophisticated uh, way of being at that age than it was for my generation. So anyway, it's just really fun getting to know the students and work with them and uh, see them grow and change over the course of it. And one really cool thing about my position is I get to teach, I teach mostly undergrad classes, Mm -hmm. but I teach um, the occasional graduate class too. And so that's nice because that kind of keeps it interesting. And, you know, the grad students are almost more uh, like the level of being peers. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's something really rewarding about teaching those graduate classes too. Um, I'm getting to learn about all the cool research that everyone's doing. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty great situation. Okay. Okay. What what would you say like how how are you how different are your responsibilities as a lecturer um are in comparison to that of a fully tenured professor? Yeah, and so the the job of a tenured professor, you know, varies somewhat depending on institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, at uh, at institutions that are entirely undergrad institutions with no graduate programs. Um, in some cases, you know, in those kinds of jobs, tenure track faculty um, spend most of their time teaching. So, you know, my job is probably most similar to that kind of faculty position. Mm-hmm. But at a research university like Stanford, um, you know, the primary job of faculty is to run their research program. And that's what they spend the majority of their time on. And so since my job is 100% teaching, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a fairly different focus from what faculty spend most of their time on at a research-focused institution. Uh, That said, one thing that's nice about my current position is um, my teaching load is, you know, it's pretty reasonable, and I'm able to continue doing some research um, independently, even though it's not really officially part of my job. Mm -hmm. It's still beneficial for me to, you know, keep engaging in research. You know, it helps me stay up to date on the stuff that I teach, too. Since I teach, a lot of my classes are, like, focused on research skills. Um, so that's something I really enjoy because I really love research too. And I think I would miss it if I was spending, you know, a hundred percent of my time just teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's nice to have a job that's pretty teaching focused, but still gives me the freedom to you know, stay engaged in research at some level. Um, so in that sense, it's not uh, entirely different from a faculty position, you know, from how faculty spend their time. The main difference is that I don't advise my own grad students, um, which is something I'd be interested in doing in the future maybe, but, um, Okay. Yeah, for now, I'm really happy with my situation. Okay, okay. Well, oh, well, that was going to be my next question. My next question was going to be, well, what do you see yourself, you know, going from from here? Do you see yourself uh, just continuously hanging at uh, Stanford, like continuing your posts and stuff? Yeah, good question. Um, I guess I'm, you know, I've always been kind of an opportunist. And I'm interested in getting a tenure track position eventually and, you know, having my own research lab, uh, being able to advise grad students. Uh That's something I think I would really enjoy. But I'm also really happy in my current position. Um, You know, life is really good right now. Uh And I so basically, um, you know, I apply for other jobs that look appealing now and then. But I think um, I'll stay in my current position unless something really good comes along. Like, I'm really happy right now. So, uh, you know, it would definitely take, like, the a really ideal kind of job offer to make me want to leave. Um, but, you know, I could envision that eventually, if the right situation comes along, 
um, I do think it would be really fun to have my own research lab, be able to advise grad students, um, you know, experience that whole side of the academic spectrum that, that isn't currently part of my job. But I'm, I'm really in no hurry to leave. And, it, you know, if that never happened, that uh, wouldn't necessarily be a really bad thing either. Okay. Well, uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're pretty good, pretty happy with uh, where you're at right now. Uh, I think your experience, uh, your your experiences overall, um, were very informative. Um, it seems as if you know you didn't necessarily had like a, a clear cut path, but it seems as if you had the opportunity to explore whatever it is that you were interested in at the time, and that seemed to have been your your guiding principle to where to to getting to you to where you are today. Yeah, I'd say so. You know, I think I've never been afraid to just try new stuff and explore new things, and that's been really good. Um, and I've also I've also just pursued lots of different opportunities. Like when I was doing the independent consulting work uh, after undergrad, mm -hmm. you know, I, I really uh, I hustled a lot. Like I emailed a lot of people. I applied for tons of different jobs. I made lots of connections and contacts and you know, I think all that stuff really paid off, but it's, it's not like all those jobs just came to me. Um, I really had to run around and make connections to kind of maintain constant, constant employment in that era. And I think that's kind of like a common theme throughout my whole experience is, um, you know, just taking the time to make connections in my field has really paid off when it comes to professional opportunities. So, you know, you, people always talk about like, oh, networking is important. Um, but, you know, in the case of my career, it's just like, it's absolutely huge having those connections. So I always try to encourage my students now to just, you know, develop as good a network as they can. Um, you know, going to conferences, meeting people, that stuff really uh, can, you know, pay off in ways you don't expect even like years later. Oh, I totally agree. I see it time and time again with uh, different academics who, who I've run into. Well, Dr. Miller, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you so much for answering my questions. Uh, it was truly a pleasure getting to know you and learning about your path through academia. Yeah, well, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation too. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for chatting. No problem. That's it for us this week. We hope that you guys enjoyed the episode. Please be sure to follow us on our social media pages for any of our upcoming updates. Until next time.